Well, I am delighted to say that joining me on uh, the Godcast today are some friends of mine, and we're here to talk about um, the joyful subject of death and dying. And um, it's it's one of those subjects that's uh, not easy to talk about, and some people find it rather difficult. Hence, that's the reason why we're having a chat about it today. And I've got some wonderful guests, and um, I'm just going to ask them to introduce, introduce themselves. Linda, let's start with you. Let's uh, just introduce yourself. Thank you. Um, I'm Linda Tomkinson. I am the priest in charge of Freedom Church Mearside in Blackpool. Sonny Blackpool. And then down to Chris. Hi, I'm Chris Kravitz and I'm the rector of Morecambe <laughs> in Poulton, the Sands. Wonderful. Thanks for the giggles. Father Damien. Hello, Damien Porter. I'm the vicar of Torrisome uh, Parish, uh, just next door to Chris in Morecambe. Yeah. And Helen. Hi, I'm Helen Houston. I'm not a vicar. I'm a chaplain at the local hospital in Blackpool and the local hospice as well. And finally, Kat. Hi, I'm Kat. I'm a vicar with L plates on, trainee, uh, working with Father Alex here in Burnley. Yes, and Kat's, a, Kat's a, an experienced old hand at this Godcast, as she, you, you will recognise her from uh, the one that we did on Heaven. So, yeah, we're here to have a chat about um, death and dying. And, and I want to just start by asking you about some of the, the challenges that you've had in, in your roles and, and, and in your uh, geographical area of Lancashire um, regarding uh, death and dying in the context of, of COVID-19. Linda, how's, how's the things been or different for you over the last year or so? Certainly has been um, different. I think um, one of the things that stands out in mind when you ask that question, um, to understand that I'm a priest in charge of a church plant. Um, so my church is new. Um, it's only four, four or five years old. Um, and up until this point, nobody in the church had died before. So I think most church congregations are used to occasionally losing members of the church family. And uh, during the first lockdown, a member of our congregation did die. It wasn't coronavirus related, um, but it was the, um, the lack of ability to be able to um, support people through the grief and dealing with that losing the first member of our church congregation. Um, so, for example, because funeral numbers are restricted, there was only two people could actually come to her funeral from our church family um, because there were so many of her own family were there as well. Um, so there was certainly um, difficulty in, in, in around the funeral and around in supporting my church family mm. um, dealing with that first loss. Yeah, was it was it a sudden passing, Linda? Or, or, it, yeah. it, was, it was very sudden. It was not expected at all. Um, she wasn't being particularly poorly or anything like that. So yes, it was quite a shock, um, and 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 something I you know it was quite a shock to me as well. It's the first time somebody in my own congregation has died, so I had to deal with that personally as well as supporting people in the congregation too. Yeah, thanks, Linda. Mm. And and Father Damien, about yourself, how how's how's it been for you? Uh, it's been very busy. <laughs> Death's been high on the agenda, sadly, hasn't it, for lots of reasons. And uh, and um, it's been very difficult sometimes dealing with, um, as Linda was saying, the, 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 the families at, a, at more of a distance than we would normally like. Um, and funeral services, of course, have felt very different. And, well, they've been very different, haven't they? And for some people, that's been... Um, very painful that they can't have the big send-off for their loved ones that they might have wanted. On the other hand, what's interested me 
is a number of people who have come back to me afterwards and said that uh, you know the, the quiet and intimate um, sense of uh, manner in which we've been doing funerals has actually been quite helpful to them in retrospect, and um, and I think has perhaps helped them to focus on a little bit more keenly on what they're there for, why they're there, rather than having to take everybody else on board and all their expectations. Mm. It's been quite interesting. Mm. Yeah. And Helen, in your context, obviously it's different to, well, Linda's is very different to, to Father Damien's, but in your context of working in, um, in, in a chaplaincy role, how has that, how has that been different for you? It's been a strange one because um, I unfortunately had to shield. So I was going to say my experience, I think, of, of COVID, um, certainly the lock, first lockdown, was receiving a letter telling me that I was extremely clinically vulnerable and had to shield or I'd get very poorly and all die. And I was um, in the garden at the time when the postman handed the letter over and I just it was just such a shock to think I am mortal. I mean, I knew I was mortal, um, but just to sort of see it written out, confronting me um, like that. So um, I've been very frustrated throughout uh, lockdown. However, um, I've been trying to support my colleagues who've been in the hospital. So I've ended up doing a lot of uh, writing of prayer resources because we were very conscious as a team that we're a very small team. We can't be everywhere at once. So we wanted to resource the staff who were on the ward, who knew the patients, um, so that they'd have something that they could say and hopefully say with integrity. Um, and we ordered loads and loads of um, holding crosses and wooden hearts and so on that could be given out um, as a, a comfort and a, a support to uh, the bereaved. But yeah, I've, I've just found um, being a hospital chaplain during lockdown when I could have been really useful, yeah. very frustrating. Helen, did, did, you, did you feel a sense of loss by that, not being able to be there? Oh, goodness, yes. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, as we're all pastors, um, we want to be with people. That's the whole point. And um, it's just not the same as, you know, being on a phone or in a Zoom conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and Chris, what about yourself? How has it been for you, buddy? Um, yeah, it's it's been challenging in the in sense that there have been lots uh, more funerals. Um, uh, and then suddenly it goes quiet again, but, but in a sort of bigger way than usual. It sort of ebbs and flows usually, but the peaks and troughs, troughs seem to have been bigger. Uh, visiting families has been really tricky because uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, out, out there about um, what should be happening when you visit or don't visit. And with the best will in the world, people are not primarily thinking about um, COVID, once you've got over the initial, well, I shall wear my mask and I shall sit over here. Once you've done that, then everyone seems to forget it. And to be the one who reminds people, actually, if you could just stay there um, while we do this, or um, uh, it's actually quite awkward because you, so often when you're doing a funeral visit, you're, you're, um, the professional in the room aren't you and so they look to you and say well you know you'll think of something vicar won't you and you think 
you're all right, um, I'll have a go. But, um, but, but then you're also the professional in the room and somehow there's some sort of responsibility for where everybody sits in someone else's front room. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's very bizarre and I found that really quite difficult. You know, knowing that no one else is going to say, could you go and sit over there and not stand in my face, please? Mm-hmm. So you have to be the one who says it. And yeah. it's awkward. Mm-hmm. awkward. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, Chris. And Kat, I suppose for you, this is almost normal, isn't it? Because you're, you're well, you're, you're, you've been ordained a little while now, but still relatively new to, to ordain life. Uh, I suppose this has become the norm, has it? Well, I've now taken more funerals in covid times than than before yeah so i um but i don't think i will ever get used to having to do things like visits on the phone rather than being able to go in person and i and i certainly don't think any of us should ever want to get used to numbers being limited and and physical contact being limited at funerals i mean it's it's just against every human instinct isn't it to to try and offer someone comfort from two meters away wearing a face mask <laughs> um, and I my heart just goes out to everybody who's who's lost someone close during this time because you want a hug you want um, someone to pass you a tissue and all of these things that um, we've been forcing ourselves not to do um, to try and keep each other safe has been um, yeah really difficult I think for everybody. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for the kind of the, the emotional and the hugging. I recently had had one where uh, I was the first kind of face-to-face contact with somebody who'd, who'd lost a loved one because they were self-isolating, and uh, the 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 outpouring of grief was was um, significant. I would say to to what may have normally have been the circumstances. Can I just ask if any of you share my concern about after? The pandemic, um, as, as a lot of people are kind of very optimistic now about this pathway to normality, whatever that is. But do you think there's going to be a bit of work, and or, or I'll say a bit, or maybe a lot of work to do in in the months ahead of us? I'm certainly concerned for my NHS colleagues. Um, they've been through a horrendous time. Um, we our palliative care team that's been working. Uh, supplied by Trinity Hospice, but working at the hospital, have literally gone from deathbed to deathbed to deathbed in very difficult circumstances, having very intense conversations with loved ones who who can't be there. It's been incredibly distressing. So, yeah, from my point of view, I worry for my colleagues uh, going forward because I think there will be a price to pay. There's only so much emotional energy you can put into a job like that Mm. and uh, if you don't get the rest you don't get the respite then yeah I do worry for them and I pray for them yeah yeah I had a conversation on Sunday evening actually with there was somebody who came who is part of our congregation who works on one of the covid wards in in um, in Lancaster and she was echoing Helen much of what you're saying about how difficult it's been you know they're used to getting people better and it's been Mm you know, person after person after person that's just struggled and died and lost and dealing with the families and all that. And we were having, I was talking again um, um, this week with the guy who's the chapel attendant at our crematorium here. He's an, he's a, um, and we were, he was comparing, we were comparing it to perhaps what the troops might have felt like when they came out of places like Afghanistan and how, mm. um, you know, it's a very different thing, of course. 
but there's going to be a lot of stuff to deal with post-traumatic um, things of all kinds aren't there lots of people needing lots of support and alongside the nhs staff who, um, who, are, who are amazing i think some of the other amazing people through all this are our funeral directors um, who are having to deal with people at a much faster pace perhaps without the time that they'd normally be able to give to people and um and i think that's something where i've, I've certainly sort of been very aware as a priest of how important it's been actually to make to try to make more time to be with people through the journey of bereavement in these recent times yeah anybody else I certainly think there's going to be um, an issue with like delayed grief. Mm. Um, if you have, if you've lost a member of your family that you don't live in the same house as, yeah. then you probably won't have been into that house since they have died. And, and it's only like when restrictions are lifted and we're allowed to go back in, it's almost like it's going to happen all over again. You've got to get used to that house without a, a parent that you've lost, for example. Um, and there's, there's definitely going to be a, a delayed and then having to grieve all over again. Um, and what I've also heard a lot is because a lot of people are not able to have wakes in the way that they would normally do. They'll say, oh, we'll do a memorial service next year mm. whenever we're able to. So I'm expecting a, a demand for memorial services on top of whatever the normal workload will be next year anyway. So, yeah, I, I can certainly see that being an issue. Yeah. And Chris, what about, you know, the personal toil it takes? I mean, I, I think... Um, Helen's talked about it in, a, in the NHS context, but I, I'm certainly feeling it. And, and what do you reckon, buddy? Yeah, uh, it, it is, it's exhausting um, to be uh, kind of uh, on, uh, just as you asked me, somebody is phoning me, of course. It's exhausting, as all the screen shifting. It's exhausting to be kind of in that um, position all the time. <laughs> Hello, sorry, I'm just on a call. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's exhausting to um, to do that. But I think, I don't know, I just uh, hopping off what Linda said, that I think there's also an underlying anger, maybe displaced anger, but there is a sort of, I'm encountering um, from a few people, anger at the loss of people who should have been fine. People who, who went in with a broken leg and didn't come out again. And thankfully, I think those numbers are very low because the hospitals have been excellent and worked very hard. But I have done three or four funerals where they expected the person to come out from an operation or a leg, like a broken leg or whatever, and they they caught COVID and died. And the, the anger that exists there, that, that this is an injustice, this should not have happened, you know, they just broke their leg, they're only 52, you know, and, and that, that's, I think, um, I think that's, that's even more taxing, because you've got to navigate, you've got to navigate the emotion of grief, but then it comes with this sort of righteous anger that this should not happen in this time and whatever, hmm. um, but of course we know that it, it does even even with the most amazing medical science and and whatever these things happen and and trying to break that to people is is yeah. kind of hard you know yeah i think damien what you said about the undertakers is really interesting but also extended to the uh, the crematoriums it really struck me the other day when i was down at the crematorium that i walked to the lectern and, and i looked at the lectern and i looked at the seats and they've they all look like they've been sandpapered down and, and it's basically because they've been cleaned so much, 
you know, um, they, they just look like they're being stripped for for being revarnished. And and it and it and I think it, I actually thought to myself, it actually it wouldn't look out of place in a in a museum fifty years from now. You know, as a reminder of of what we've all kind of been through or what we're going through at this time. Um, just want to just um, you know pick up on the idea of, of of just when people have been you know I've I have, I've had COVID and, and it has made me feel about my own mortality about you know if I if I'd have got it really bad I could have died and that that played on my mind and I think that's still playing on my mind. How how can we help people um, talk about the subject of death and dying because it seems to be to this day one of those taboo subjects that we don't really chat about you know um, even with my own granny who died at the age of 101 I never had the conversation about what music she might like at a funeral you know what 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 words what you know I just never never faced it and I'm a priest so what, what do you think it is that stops us talking about it anybody like to chip in well I could go um, back to my Irish roots and say that I think the Irish talk about death a lot easier than the English do something I've certainly found um, so like I'd quite happily talk about it with my um, with my family with my parents um, it's an easy topic of conversation so it's the way I've been brought up to actually be able to talk about it quite easily mm. so I think that's that's a gift to be used when people feel awkward talking about death I will quite happily bring up the subject and I will quite happily and comfortably ask those questions and it's just giving that impression that this is actually a normal thing to talk about that this is an okay thing to talk about and to be able to give people space to ask those questions that they might feel really uncomfortable asking or like to have those conversations about it so just making it part of normal conversation um, I think is a very helpful thing to do. Yeah. yeah, I think helping people to start the conversation, it, it's a weird thing to bring up over the dinner table, isn't it? <laughs> or even more so now, perhaps on Zoom or another way of chatting. Um, we, we had a really good um, messages backwards and forwards on our family WhatsApp group um, a couple of weeks ago. And, and that all started because um, one of my family members was trying to choose a headstone for, for a very loved friend and kind of put a picture up and, and was like, what do you think guys? <laughs> and, and, and then started about three hours of messages going backwards and forwards about what we'd like at our funerals, about whether we'd like um, to leave our bodies to science um, and all sorts of things that we'd never really had a conversation about. And I think sometimes doing it by something like WhatsApp's perhaps easier than sitting and staring each other in the face and, and having questions um but there was lots of laughter in that and I think we all enjoyed it in the end we all kind of messaged in the morning and said oh good chat last night thank you but I don't know how we'd have got onto it if someone had it just said you know put a whatsapp message mm -hmm. do you want to uh, donate your body to medical science that would have been <laughs> a very weird conversation starter but there was a, a natural in with this I'm I'm trying to choose um a headstone and I'd like some help and um I think yeah part of our role can be helping families to to start those kind of conversations and also just breaking that taboo that they're morbid or sorrowful I, I think there can be uh, often when those conversations do start there's a lot of relief and um and and also joy that comes out because often 
things that people would like perhaps in a funeral service is something that's really important to them in life and so it, it outcomes some of the things they're most fond of and and some of the things that bring them most joy mm. i definitely think that humor is is a great tool uh, no surprise there i think humor is a great tool for a lot of things but particularly talking uh, about death um and for some who know that they're facing it the opportunity to laugh in the face of it or at least to to look it straight in the face um, is is hugely appreciated rather than tiptoeing around it you know particularly so if someone is terminal in your family more often than not the person who's terminal is ready to talk about it you know after a certain period of time they want to face it let's talk about this let's actually talk about this whereas the family everybody else is so horrified by the, by the impending loss of this person this this coming wave that they can see coming that they just don't want to talk about it they don't know where to begin they don't think it could possibly be funny they it couldn't be anything but utterly horrifying and so they they avoid it and i think that's our role sometimes is to be the one who says okay you go and get a sandwich shut the door and then say come on then you know let's do the elephant in the room it's it's curtains for you isn't it so how are we going to deal with this you know and um i, I reckon helen you probably got loads to say on that being uh, you know a hospital chaplain but like it just yeah it's so much yeah i don't know it's just i thought you were going to say then chris it's curtains for you do you want them open or closed <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I no, did it my way, or which we have. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've deliberately said that because I think yeah. I think what you say about humour is is really important. That that, that when I've done funeral visits, um, you can be in the in the midst of the deepest grief, being outpoured through tears and and sadness, and all of a sudden there's this fanfare of laughter that is actually, you know, in some ways I feel like it's the grieving process actually starting to unravel. Um, Helen, is, is that your experience in, in the hospice um, or in the hospital scenario where if somebody comes in and is obviously very ill, how free-flowing does the conversation tend to be? Is it something that you have to kind of instigate or do you find families actually want to talk about these things and even, even the patient? Well, it sort of depends where they are on their journey, um, to state the obvious, because sometimes when people are coming into hospital, it's for investigations that then lead to diagnoses, which then lead to a prognosis. So um, there tends to be a lot of shock, um, anger, surprise. Um, sometimes there's a there's kind of a relief, um, you know, that uh, all these bizarre symptoms have an explanation and a cause. By the time people get to the hospice, it tends to be the case that patients have had that conversation with their oncologist or their doctor, and it's been explained to them that very sadly, they can't make them better, but they can certainly help in terms of the quality of life. Um, so it, it really depends so much, again, on the age of the patient, on the commitments that the patient has. You know, there are some folk I've met who are grateful to death. You know, it's not something they're afraid of. They've seen it happen to their friends, their loved ones. They, they embrace it without being overly morbid. And then you meet the young mum with kids who, you know, it's just desperately, desperately sad. Um, so, yeah, it's... There's kind of a whole spectrum of things, I, I think, depending on where the person is themselves. Yeah. 
Linda, can I just go back to what you said about, uh, you know, your Irish roots? Uh, you know, we're, we're, we are literally neighbours, aren't we? So what do you think that is? What do you think is different in the Irish culture to the to the English culture or the, or Scottish or Welsh that, that makes us fundamentally different in that way? Um, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what it is. I think it's just there's more of um, more involvement in it. And like, you know, you go back a couple of decades or like maybe a century or so and, um, and people were much more involved in in like when somebody died, the body was brought back to the house. And in many cases, it still is. Um, and is laid out on the family bed, the, the bed that they've slept on um, for decades. And people will come and visit and they will come and, and see. I remember the first time taking um, Pete, my English husband, um, to an Irish family funeral. Um, and we walked straight into my uncle's bedroom and there he was laid in his coffin with the lid off. And, and like the kids were running in and out and putting flowers into the coffin and, and things like that. And Pete was slightly freaked out by that. And it's okay, I'm allowed to say that. Um, but it's just, it's just much more part of of, of um, part of your life in, in that sometimes it can be a little bit um, excluded so the body is taken from the hospital to the, the, um, to the funeral home, to the crematorium and, and there's that distance um, between it as well and, and I think there's also something to be said for the timing of how things happen from when somebody dies to when a funeral happens in Ireland you're talking two to three days um, Whereas in England, it's it's less than usually not not um, not less than two to three weeks um, at the earliest and sometimes longer. So I think there's just there's a more um, more relevance, more now. Sorry, relevance is not the right word. Imminence, I think, is the word I'm looking for. It is more yeah. in, in our daily lives with it that just makes it easier to talk about. Yeah. Thanks, Linda. We just um, if we could just have a look at a few some of the questions that have come up I've, I've done a few grave talks in the year, in years gone by but one question that, that that's come up a few times and father damien maybe if you could see, see what you think about this is whether when um, a, a parents died whether whether a young child should be encouraged to to come to a funeral service what's your experience of that being damien when i was a when i was a child sorry when i was a child um, I'll let me stop it. Sorry about that. When I was a child, my grandmother died. I remember being told, um, well, I wasn't told I couldn't go to the funeral. It just wasn't even thought about. And it was something that stayed with me for a long time. And I don't blame anybody for that. It's just sort of the way things were, I suppose. And um, but it stayed with me for a long time. That I and, and I think the thing that hurt me was was that I wasn't actually part of that decision. And if people ever asked me about whether children should go to funerals or not, my response to them is always to tell them, you know, um, is always to suggest that children are part of the decision process. I think children have got a lot to teach us about grieving, actually. They seem to embrace the finality of death in a way that, well, we make it so complicated as adults and hard for ourselves sometimes, don't we? And, 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 um, I, th I think, you know, children can, can teach us a lot of lessons in grief. But um, we, we, we need to bring our children up to understand that death is part of life and, 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 and to face it in a, in a mature and sensitive way, um, I think. So it's about have, you've got to not be frightened of having the discussions with them, I think. Yeah. I had a, uh, an experience where I, uh, uh, it was a, a baby that had uh, passed away and uh, 
the family were present and the family kind of, and there was a young, young child present as well. And the parents kind of put me on the spot saying, literally in front of the whole family, um, can, you have a, can you have a chat with Billy? Not the real name, obviously. It's just explain what's happening. And I was kind of, I was, I was quite newly ordained actually. And it was quite a, quite a big one for me to, to deal with. But I, I, it does lead me to wonder how how we should explain death to children. Um, Chris, what what's your take on that? I mean, it's obviously something that happens, and yeah, and invite others to comment as well. There are some resources out there which which can be used, and, and some of them aren't bad. I mean, some of them aren't great or a bit dated, but some of them aren't bad. I mean, um, um, I think. Um, there are some sort of there's some kind of storybooks. It depends on the age, obviously, but there are some sort of storybooks that talk about um, change and death, and like you know uses the seasons, or it can use um, caterpillar and butterfly, um, mayflies. I've seen one about mayflies, and um, you know there there are all sorts of different ones. I, one I really like for slightly older children, and I don't know whether it came up in your heaven God I can't remember. I think it might have done. Was the two twins in the womb? Um, which is just a wonderful story about what happens next and being able to say that without knowing you expect something, you know, and, and without being able to say for definite, this is exactly how it will be. You can say that it will be like something. And the kind of metaphor of those twins in the womb thing, which is kind of quite a famous thing. I think most people will have heard it. Um, you know, what, what will it be like when we're born? Will we, will we walk on these two things that we're just floating on at the moment? You know, will we use our mouths for eating and kissing or what should, what should we use our mouths for? You know, all that kind of stuff. They're all, you, know, you can make the story as long or short as you want, but it, those kind of metaphors are sometimes really helpful. And other times they, it's like a much more practical question and and they're just they just want to know you know i think we can overcomplicate it like you're saying with children and they just want you to say you know so and so is dead mm. um and they just wait they just need to hear that um and i think we can get overly knotted up in metaphor sometimes and actually they just need to just i want you to tell me where my ex is where you know where you know where is where is my granny where is my auntie where are they Mm. and 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 you know well they're dead and that means and then you can go into the metaphor but the, i mean the, there has to be that kind of full stop which a lot of children are looking for i think that kind of this is a thing and you will have heard about this and i can't protect you from it so let me tell you what it is and and i think that's important yeah. and i think we can um, we can be afraid of the word death can't we but actually it can be really helpful to just name it. Um, I know it, it, euphemisms can be tempting, but especially with children, they can be really confusing. You know, yeah. sometimes you find that children are terrified to go to sleep because they've been told that somebody has, has fallen asleep and mm -hmm. but they didn't wake up. And, and will I wake up when I sleep? <laughs> um, and we just need to, to perhaps check what a child has heard when we have, shared something with them as well and kind of try and get them to to some way express what they think we've mm. said to them to check that it's it's not gone in in a way that's scary or um going to cause them them difficulties and i think that it that 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 extent that that 
concept of being truthful and being honest extends to to adults as well doesn't it you know I've, I've been in a scenario where somebody you know it was uh, I went to see the family it was absolutely apparent to me that this person was was close to death um but I think there was a that hadn't been accepted at that point by the family member and that that, that there might still be a a way out of this and and um I recall just saying no you do understand that this is this is very grave and this is very serious do you, do you concur with that Helen do you, do you do you do you encourage open and honest conversations as the rest of the guys have just been talking about uh, yeah, absolutely I agree with everything that everyone else has said uh, euphemisms are not helpful um I had a lady describing to one child that the the um, infant who died was going in a spaceship i.e the coffin up into the heavens you know and I, I i was trying really hard to and i could see where she was coming from but ultimately stuff like that is is totally unhelpful i definitely um, talk to the child and um, be available to the child make sure that you know you've got the time and the space and i think there's something about creating a a safe space for that child too when you're having those sorts of conversations and just reassuring them that whilst this particular part of life has changed, um, say like the death of a pet, I mean, I found as a school chaplain that, that that was a really significant moment in a child's life and often the first time they've come into contact with the concept of death. But it, it's about giving them the, the time and the space to say how they feel, but to remind them that although that part of life has changed other things won't change so that they get some security and safety out of a routine and from knowing that other people are there for them yeah yeah thanks can, can, I, just, can I just drop in I think that's so so cool and what the way you describe and one of the th the pet thing is so on it like but also that it comes up again and again and again quite often with kids I find that if you're talking about something like well lots of things but but if talking about death it will they'll they will you say well so and so is dead and they'll say okay and then they you know and whatever carry on and then 25 minutes later something else will pop up like so dead what do you mean by dead and then you'll think ah oh, 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 and you'll try it and, and then they're okay back to whatever they were doing or whatever and then you know a month later again it's back again or they become slightly obsessed with with I'm dead, I'm dying, I can see my dead grandma, I, you know, and they, they sort of conceptualize it. And it can take months and months to sort of process. They're, they're working out their own little construction. Um, and I, I think like exactly, I totally agree that, that um, euphemisms are not helpful, but if you are stuck, if you are stuck, you must say something. You've got, you've got to say something, you can't, you can't leave it, um, you know, I don't blame people for coming up with, with euthanism. The space one is, I mean, mind bending, but, but, you know, I don't, you know, when you're put on the spot, you know, and, and you know, your child looks up with you with those big eyes and you think, ah, you know, it's, mm. it's why the elf on the shelf is exists so much, you know, it's because we have, we have to do something and then, oh, why have we got this blasted elf? Now we've got to do this with it and that with it. And, you know, and you can, we construct this world for the sake of the child and the child, you know, is is way ahead. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I... All right. Cheers, Chris. If we, if we could just move on um, post death to something that continues to fascinate me, um, and that's grief, um, and that it is kind of a 
just a weird journey and it's so different for different people and it affects people in different ways and um how, how do you encourage your your congregations and your parishioners and your families to to deal with grief i think sometimes um a helpful thing is just helping people to think about what it might be like and i've come across quite a few people who think grief is purely emotional um, and then get really shocked that they're completely physically exhausted when they're grieving or that they um, are struggling to remember things um, and their, their mental capacity is limited. And, and just the fact that we, we're such integrated beings as humans that uh, such deep and aching sadness will have physical expression and mental expression and all those kind of things as well that... Um, and, and of course, in terms of timing, helping people to, to just realize that there is no normal and there's no, I should be over it by now. <laughs> um, and that it's okay and actually quite common uh, six months on, a year on, three years on to suddenly wake up and, and be hit like a brick wall all over again. But also, it's okay if that doesn't happen and that doesn't mean you didn't love the person and I think sometimes just trying to normalize difference and the different things that people go through. I, I, absolutely it's a very um, complicated process isn't it bereavement and there are these wonderful models of grief out there and um, I've, I've known of people sort of ticking them off as they go through each bit of grief but in, in reality, that's that's it's grief isn't like that. It is so individual. It's so dependent on the kind of relationship that you had with this person before. Your relationship with them isn't going to be somebody else's relationship. Um, and instead of a nice straight line with grief, it's this massive squiggle. And sometimes you go back to the start again, and sometimes you whiz to the the, the front again. It's just it's messy. You know, you can't contain it. It is just what it is, as, as you say. And it's also then about when does it actually end? When does grief end? Do we ever get back to that? How life was like completely normal before that person died? It's helping people realize that life will never be exactly as it was before. And it, grief is more about um, learning to live with the fact that you have lost that person from your life. So like we talk about a journey, but most journeys then, where does the journey of grief end? So, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think it's really important that people don't feel they have to apologize for grieving. So many people will say, won't they? They, they, they apologize for being upset and then then they get cross with themselves when actually, you know, this is early days, you know, mm. and, uh, you know, you, you've been together for 60 years and you're wondering why you're still upset sort of three months later. And mm. it's it, 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 it's a long and unending process, perhaps. It only ends when we die ourselves, I guess. And, yeah. Um, uh, I wish we could give grief. Sorry. Sorry. Go on. Go on. Sorry. I, I wish we could grief give grief more space in society. I mean, I, I'm yeah. always struck by the fact that you're given like a couple of days off compassionate leave when someone's died. You know, your whole world has fallen apart. But it's okay because you got two days off, so you'll get sorted. No, I'm sorry. It's it's a big deal. Um, and you know, I do. I do worry for folk that they feel that they've got some, it's some kind of race to get better. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be grieving. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, 
I know other people have, have said this a lot in other contexts, but in our society, we don't have a way of indicating that we're grieving. You know, other societies, you dress in a particular colour or you have particular customs or rites of passage. But, but for us, it, it, it can almost be seen as a weakness. Mm. And that is, that is mm. so wrong. Your whole world has just fallen apart. Yeah. It's totally yeah. reasonable to be struggling. Yeah, and I think what Linda says about life never being the same again is is so true and it's an acceptance of that. I mean, I've, I do something that I feel is a bit weird. My grandma died nearly two years ago and she lives about, uh, say she lives, her uh, house is about a mile and a half away. And um, just yesterday, I walked there with my dog uh, and just walked past the house. And I do that quite a lot and it gives me, um, I don't really know what's going on in my head, but I know that it gives me comfort to be in the area and the vicinity it was so that's me just perhaps just expressing that we all kind of deal with things in different ways and there is no one size fits all um, it's also i think part sorry just, just part part of the covid experience seems to have been as well that a lot of us are becoming very nostalgic for the past we're needing to have that sort of like a security blanket i know when my husband's dad died um david watched the whole of alfreda's own pets and then he went on to all sorts of other shows that he kind of associated with a particular time in his life. It was like he just needed to check in with himself um, and just get in contact with the place where he felt happy and supported yeah. again. Yeah. Thanks, Helen. I just want to ask you this question as experts and professionals. that um, before I had experienced any grief in my life as a, as a youngish guy, one of the, one of the fears I had was um, when my father would die, I, I worried terribly about what life would be like on the other side of losing, you know, someone who was profoundly important upon my life. And I think there are probably people out there who are in that position that, you know, particularly during maybe the COVID experience where they've seen, as Chris said earlier, people who were generally quite fit go to, go to the very edge of of their human life, their their earthly life. And I was wondering if we could, uh, anybody could find any words of encouragement for people who might be worrying about the mortality of their loved ones. Well, I certainly find that um, that faith is a, is a great comfort in this, um, and uh, and knowing that this life that we live is not the end that when this life comes to the end that's not the end of everything and believing that there is something um, beyond this life um, and, and I find especially the, the comfort of knowing that there is no pain or suffering um, beyond this life so particularly if somebody is ill um, and, and is suffering a lot then to know that once they have died they are not in any pain or suffering anymore um, I certainly, I find comfort in that thought from people that I've lost in my life. Um, and, and I find reassurance in that. Hmm. I think it, if, if it's somebody younger, there's a sense that you can't look after them. You know, they, they're, they're, they're the part of the journey you can't do with them. And, you know, they, they go across the threshold of death and there's nothing, you can't, you don't get to go with them. So you can't make sure that they're, eating properly or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you were doing for them in life, you, you can, you're no longer responsible. And as Linda was saying, there is a, there is a tremendous comfort for me knowing that 
um, through after the threshold of death, there's somebody ultimately responsible for that person. You're handing them over to not only someone who will care for them and love them, but they'll do it better than you did. They'll do it even better than, than you did. And, um, and, 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 and until you get there too, you know, there, there is a sense that, 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 that they're not left on their own. And I think particularly done a few sort of infant sort of um, bereavement type things. And, and it's, it's those moments where you can't put them in bed anymore and tuck them in. You can't, you know, you, you can't make sure that they've eaten or whatever it is, clean their teeth even. They've, they've gone beyond that. And, and it's little things like that, you know, that worry us and tie us up. Who will look after, you know, in a sense. Um, but I mean, when it's the other way up and it's a, a carer for you, um, you know, it, it's, it is that sort of, like you were saying, Linda, that freedom from um, pain and sort of difficulty and life into something new, uh, the comfort. So, yeah. And, and as we, we come into the end of this really fascinating 45 minutes or whatever it is, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's evangelize a little bit. And, and, you know, I, I've been to humanist funerals and I've got nothing against the ministers, but they're, to me, they're devoid of something. So, so what, just let's chat about that, about let's self-promote ourselves a little bit about what we can perhaps offer and why we offer it um, and, and what's at the heart of it. Damien, what do you think? Well, as a Christian, I don't believe that I'm made just for the here and now. You know, um, my, my goal um, is, is life in God, and that's why God's made us. It's uh, so that we can enjoy eternity with him. And, um, and I think actually we, we, we don't talk enough about hope as Christian people very often about, you know, the hope that faith gives us. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think, I think, I just think that's so very important. Just, um, um, just over a year ago, a great friend of mine, um, a priest died and, and sat at his deathbed. Um, um, I asked him how, how he was feeling. He says, I'm excited. And I thought, what a wonderful thing to say. And I was really touched by that. You know, there's, there is an excitement um, uh, about death and about hope and about, and I think we need, if we can convey some of that through our ministry in gentle ways, obviously, <laughs> um, to, to, to people who are bereaved, um, that, that, you know, if, 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 they, if they can be touched by the surety of our own faith and our own hope, I just think that's so very important. They need to see it lived in us. And I really believe it and not just speak it. And that's the difference of a Christian funeral, I think. Yeah. If, if you can confidently speak of hope. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Thanks, Damien. Chris, you've died on stage a few times. Well, <laughs> More than a few, mate. Yeah. You've resurrected once or twice. So, so what's your thoughts? I, I definitely agree, uh, agree with Damien. Absolutely. And there, I... I remember leaving college and having a conversation with uh, a, a vicar from York who just had this enormous smile, just this enormous smile. And I remember having a conversation, I was drawn to him because he was constantly joyful, not silly or giddy or, or stupid, but joyful, like just this kind of innate joy. And I was drawn to him because he had that joy. And, uh, and I felt like something, I, I've, I've got joy, but, but, you know, I was finding in the college environment that it was very serious and, and very academic and, and, you know, you've, you've got to be well grounded in faith. And as, as though the two weren't 
somehow you could be joyful and therefore a bit of an idiot. And um, uh, and I was really struggling with that. Do I have to pretend now that that I don't feel joyful so that I can uh, represent the seriousness, the weight of the calling? And he said I'm to sure me, I, I was serious trying to answer the question. <laughs> and, he, and, and he said to me, he said to me, Chris, if you've got joy, that is a gift which people need to see. You know, if you are joyful, if, if because God gives you hope, because there is life in you, because God has given it to you, then there's joy and share it. Be joyful and, you know, be, live it. Live, uh, and I think as a church, we could do a lot more of that. Actually being pleased to be alive would be a good start, you know, and then moving on from that. I mean, I've sat through some services where I've wondered, where is the pleased to be alive here? You know, I mean, we're all looking forward to uh, eternity with our father, but I'd quite like to be pleased to be alive as well, you know, and I think that's part of, of death is actually being pleased to be alive as well. I mean, obviously we can't all inhabit it all the time. There is a lot of sadness. Yeah. But there's a joy in the freedom that God loves me. I, I, yes. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, Chris. Linda? There's um, there's certainly something about God being our anchor in life, being that that one true unchangeable, um, and that unchangeable carries through into eternity. And it definitely echoes, Chris, what you've just said about having that joy. Um, for me, that's very close to peace and, and having that in my life. Um, let's face it, the, wor the world is in mess. The world is in chaos. Um, that what we have to deal with as human beings on, in our day-to-day -day walk in life is just crazy if you step back and think about everything that we have to go on in normal times, like not least in, in what's actually going on in the world at the minute. And actually, it would be very easy to just be caught up and swept away in all of that. But for me, my faith is that anchor um, that actually says, do you know what, whatever happens in the world, you're going to be okay. And it's going to be okay into eternity. Um, and that anchor, that peace, that that joy, that that faith that I have in my life is is what carries me through every single day, yeah. and and I look forward to eternity with God in that as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think we we have a duty as as Christians to to die well, actually, yeah. to to be prepared. It used to be a thing back in the the fifteenth, sixteenth century. There, there were books written on the art of dying well, and there's a wonderful website with lots of fantastic um videos and pieces of information and so on about dying well and i, I think for for us as, as christians for us as a, a church we have something distinct to offer people that is around hope and is uh, around living with that hope and modeling how you know when you are poorly, when you are going through a particularly difficult time, how we exhibit that hope in what we do and say and how we how we live. So, yeah, like like Chris says, you know, let's let's celebrate life. Let people look at our lives and say, yes, there's something special there. But also, as we come to the end of our lives, to have lived in a way that means we have been reconciled um, with people, that we deal with arguments, that we, you know, family fallouts, all the other things that people come to regret at the end of their lives. Let's deal with them as we go along. So by the time we get to the end of, of life, we can die well. Yeah, I think the the amazing thing we have to offer as well is that our God, who we talk to in prayer, who we worship, has lived a fully human life. 
and gets it. And there's that tiny sentence in the Bible that brings me great comfort. Jesus wept. And at, at the graveside of one of his good friends, he, he, he cries. <laughs> um, and, and just the thought that I'm not, I'm not talking to some God who, who's so gaudy <laughs> that God can't understand the pain and the ache and the no no God totally gets it and is and is there with me and and I have great reason for joy and hope because of my faith but also when I just feel completely broken I know that I'm not alone um and um I think there's there's kind of two ways that that can be problematic can't they when we're when we're thinking about death one one is that we're almost kind of too sad and there's no hope whatsoever and the other is that we're forcing ourselves to be too happy and we we don't let ourselves um hurt and suffer and I think that's what is just incredible about the Christian faith is there is deep joy that is always there and lots of reasons to celebrate but also this idea that that we can come to God and yell at God and cry at God <laughs> and God gets it. Um, and, you know, if there's a traumatic, tragic, horrific death or deaths, the question can quite often be, where is God in all of this? And my answer is weeping next to you, um, present with you. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Kat. And thank you all for your encouragement. You know, when I, when I mentioned before about a fear of my dad dying, I wasn't, I wasn't a practicing Christian then, but you just made me think about when he did die. Uh, he died from uh, Alzheimer's disease at the age of 92. And um, just listening to what you said made me realize that when he died, I actually celebrated his death. I celebrated his life and that his pain had been ended and, and, and ahead of him was a, a, a period in time, an eternal time of joy and happiness. So I think... It's really wonderful to hear you all speak and, and talk so openly and honestly about death and dying. And um, I just want to thank you all very much for coming on to the Godcast. And hopefully this will arouse discussions. And if anybody's watching this, then I think I speak on behalf of uh, my friends and colleagues that uh, if you want to contact any of us and talk about death and dying, then, then we're here. That's our job. And we'd be happy to do that. But for now, I want to thank you all Again, uh, for coming on to the Godcast, and you can watch more of these uh, interviews and videos at thegodcast.co.uk. But for now, we'll say thank you and goodbye.